Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. So we have a special treat for you today. So some of you may know, but some of you, most of you don't. Pastor Tim is out today. Because he's he's doing a wedding to a, a couple here in our church up in North Carolina, so he's out today. But we have a special speaker. I want to invite Jake Nunn. He's an elder, elder board member. Jake, take it away. Thank you. Oh man, it's good to be here. Good to see everybody here today. John chapter ten. That's where I'm going to be going. Now, fair warning, we're going to stop a few places before there. But John chapter ten is where we're headed. So, uh, so as I was preparing for today, just whatever God had to share, family kept coming up, the theme of family. But as I started flushing out this message in full, it really started taking a unique dynamic in, in my mind. It surprised me at least, maybe not you. Uh, but relationship versus transaction is the title of my message today. Relationship versus transaction. But with foundational topics, you know, it's good to define the terms because you can approach them from so many different angles. So relationship today means well, relationship, but transaction, transaction for today. When I say transaction, I mean any interaction between, uh, any interaction connected to the relationship. So the message title is a little bit confusing because there's no opposition between relationship and transactions. But the thing is, is sometimes our focus or our pursuit of transactions kind of tears away at the, the value in the relationship because the thing is, is especially with a God who is invisible, who we can't see or hear, it's a lot easier to chase after, to value and esteem those interactions, those events, those exchanges, those communications, transactions. It's a lot easier to do that with him. But the thing is the value of any transaction, it will never exceed the value of the relationship. It's cheap. So I said family. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys know, but my wife, Lindsay, a couple weeks ago, we celebrated nine years married. <laughs> thank God and thank her. <laughs> so what if I told you nine years, nine years married, and the thing that I value and cherish the most about my marriage is our wedding day? No, no. Get a life, Jake. There's one over there. No, but let's bring it a little more current. Okay, so uh, the thing I cherish the most about my marriage is I got somebody to go on dates with me. Golly, okay, no, that's awful. But why? I like dating her. I enjoyed our wedding day. It was a beautiful celebration. But the thing is, those were events and transactions that speak of my relationship with her. You see, presence is at the heart of relationship. Without presence, there is no relationship. You see, if she went away on a work trip, maybe for more than a week, it's an extended stay or something, she goes on a work trip, I would miss her cooking. I would miss the things she says. I would miss her being the audience of my nonstop preaching at home. But, <laughs> but more than any of that, incomparably, I'd miss her presence in my life. Presence is at the heart of relationship. But you see, we it's, it doesn't really fulfill all that's required for a quality relationship, though. It's at the foundation, but it doesn't meet all of the needs. For instance, uh, true or false, the recipe for a perfect relationship is spend every second together with that person. 
No, I mean, that's nice when we think about God who is love. It's nice when I think about Lindsay Nunn, but if that person that I'm locked in that room with, incapable of escape, is insane, how does that picture look? It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. See, presence is the foundation of it. It doesn't work. Without presence, there is no possibility of relationship. But without understanding, there, there can't be any quality of relationship. And I would even go further to say mutual understanding. You see, I said, Lindsay and I, we've been together for nine years. Um, what if... Uh, I'm sorry, wrong, wrong preface. Lindsay and I have been married for nine years, and you may or may not believe it, but we've had a few arguments. I mean, we've got a beautiful relationship, but we've had a few over nine years. I think that's pretty normal. But at the same time, I remember a few years ago, after one little argument on a road trip, it didn't last a few minutes, but at the end of the argument, when we pushed through to the end of it and got back on the same page, there was this resounding just joy and, and hope in my heart. And I had this kind of epiphany as I thought back over the arguments in prior life with her, because we dated four years on top of that, and we're good friends two years on top of that. We've known each other for almost half of our lives. But, but the thing is, I had this resounding feeling that was like, wait, this, this isn't the first time this has happened. It seems like every argument we've seen through to the end ends in that same joy, that same life, that same hope. Why? Because there was greater understanding of one another after each one. Now, that doesn't mean I look forward to fighting. I don't plan for them. But at the same time, whether it's an amiable argument or whether it's a, just a frustrating argument, when we see it through the end, we have more understanding and our relationship quality grows every time. You know, it's an even clearer illustration when you talk about children because there's a gap in understanding sometimes there. My son, it, it was... It's happened multiple times now, but it was a couple weeks ago, and he was saying the same word over and over again. But it wasn't any English word. It was, from Froma. And I'm sitting there like third or fourth time going like, what word sounds like that? As his facial expression changes to, Dad, how can I say this any clearer? You know? And so I can see his frustration. About eighth, ninth, tenth time, I'm like, but I'm, I'm sorry. Your mom is a great translator. I, I don't know that word yet. I'm sorry. It's a small thing. But you can even see there he was frustrated that he couldn't communicate with me. And I was frustrated on the other end because I want that. But it was like a year ago. We had this like horde of nasty big caterpillars that were making some voyage through our yard. I don't know what they were doing, but they don't belong there. And so I was outside with Nico and he just... All of a sudden, scoops down, picks something up, brings it to his mouth. And I'm like, whoa, no. But, okay, spit it out. Spit. What do you have? Spit it out. Well, the first second I did that, he froze. And he was just looking down at the ground. He knew he did something wrong. But he had no idea what he did. He knew. And so he was just looking down at the ground, just frozen. And so I'm prying his mouth open, saying, spit it out, bud, you know, trying to work with him. And then I look down, and I see that he's just got a little flower in his hand. And what do you do with flowers? According to Nico, you pick every one, you smell them. It's what you do. It took like a full minute for him to, to look me in the eye. And so I just got down, and I was like, bud, hey, hey, it's okay. You didn't do anything wrong. 
you're a good boy. I'm sorry I was so loud. And I'm just trying to get him back. And it took him like a full minute to even look me in the eye. He experienced shame, frustration, confusion in that moment. But the thing I want to illustrate is, is there wasn't any evil in our hearts, no sinful desire. There was no animosity between me and my son. But I ran him over and it was completely due to a lack of understanding. You know, with God, it works the same way. And I say mutual understanding because, you know, but it works differently with God because he has no gap in understanding of me. He's going to understand me better than I will for the rest of my life. There's no gap in understanding there. But if I don't understand him, his nature, his word, how he works with me in my life, I'm going to experience confusion, frustration. I'm going to experience shame. Any other dark pit that isn't in heaven, I can experience that simply due to my gap in understanding of him. Without presence, there's no possibility of relationship, but without understanding, there's no quality of relationship. Psalm, uh, Psalm verse 32. Psalm verse 32 is a couple, has a couple of verses that just beautifully expresses how God wants to interact with us. And Psalm 32 says... says something real soon. Okay, Psalm 32. In verse 8 and 9, it says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then the next verse says, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed by bit and bridle. God is saying in all of this, he's saying, I don't want to lead you by external circumstances. I want to lead you from the inside by my voice with understanding. If you don't have understanding, then you're going to be susceptible to being driven left or right by external circumstance. And that's not, it's not only not God's best, but it's not God's will. You know, back to, back to presence. Does God really want to have presence with us? God, from, from the, the genesis of heaven, he did everything for, the, for presence in our life, everything. He did it for family, for relationship with us. Now, Pastor Tim, on Easter Sunday, he talked about the Ark of the Covenant, and he touched on how the Ark represented the presence of God. It's one of the clearer illustrations as you look through the Old Testament. It's a clear representation of presence. But where was the Ark kept? I'm going to take this from a little bit of a different angle. The Ark was kept in what was called the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle had three general sections. There was the outer courts, then there was the inner courts, and then there was the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the presence of God was housed. So there were three separate tabernacles, but Hebrews, it describes the interaction with God's presence. There was only one person that was able to enter the Holy of Holies, and at that, only once a year. So that fact alone doesn't tell me God wants to be among the people. But again, this is before Jesus. God wants us to have presence with him. But he was locked up in the Holy of Holies. But I'm going to touch on the three separate tabernacles that were in the Old Testament. 
The first one was the tabernacle of Moses. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, God talked to Moses and he said, I want you to build me a tent so I can travel around with you guys. And he said, but here's the specs. Here's the dimensions. Here's the materials, the, the cloth. I want cut this color over here. I want this overlaid with gold. That to be overlaid. Every single detail he gave to Moses. That was the tabernacle of Moses. So fast forward a few hundred years, not to skip too much, but fast forward a few hundred years, we get to King Solomon, and King Solomon builds the Temple of Solomon, and it was majestic. It was the same thing. It was called the temple because it was a permanent structure, but it had the outer courts, the inner courts, the Holy of Holies, but it was so beautifully, wisely, and artistically constructed that the Bible says there wasn't even the sound of a chisel in its assembly. In other words, it didn't need any finishing touches while they were putting it together. It was so beautifully done. It was majestic and massive, and it was God's house for the Holy of Holies. Well, prior to this, Solomon's father, David, he was bringing the ark into the city of David or into Jerusalem. And so as he was bringing this, he puts the ark inside of a tent. But because it's the ark of the covenant, David made sacrifices, and then he commanded some of the priests. He said, you boys... Don't let a minute go by without praising the Lord God, giving thanksgiving to him, letting worship, dancing, and singing happen with the Ark of the Covenant. That was called the Tabernacle of David. Well, again, this was all prior to Jesus, but looking forward to Jesus in Amos, God spoke that he was going to reestablish a tabernacle, reestablish one. So which one do you think he chose? Let's look at Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 16, God says, he said, I will, oh wait, yeah, there, sorry guys, I'm not used to notes when I talk, I usually just open my mouth. Okay, it said, when the day of Pentecost arrived, and funny thing is, today's Pentecost Sunday, this is the anniversary of this event, when the day of Pentecost arrived, so, oh, I'm sorry, wrong way. It says, after this, I will return to you and I will rebuild the tent or tabernacle of David. So after Jesus came, after what Jesus did, God didn't rebuild the majestic temple of Solomon that looked beautiful as his house. God didn't rebuild or reestablish the tent of Moses, which he prescribed every detail. He reestablished the tent of David where his presence was engaged with people day and night not a minute goes by without it. That's what he wanted from the beginning. So I want to look at this, this when it happened, because again, Jesus was the marker of before and after. That's why it was BC and AD, at least in my time. Um, so when this happened, it happened with Jesus and with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at this both from God's perspective as well as from ours, what it looked like when we were able to house the presence of God, when the presence of God was able to be with common man. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Paul said, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know? But there were two Greek words for temple that were translated into our English word temple, I should say, two Greek words. The first one is hieron, and it is the word for the general structure. In other words, if I tell Lindsay, hey, I'm going up to the church, then she's going to know I'm coming to the building, whether there's anyone here or not. That's hieron. The other word is naos, and it comes from the root word to dwell, and it only is ever used for the holy places where God's dwelling was. In other words, God was saying, don't you know that you are the holy of holies now. 
If you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you, you are my home and I'm never leaving you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to do all this because you are my home. No more is it one person once a year getting to talk to me. Now it's you. The common man, anybody, whosoever will, it's you. God did everything for presence, but let's look at what this looked like from our end because that paints an even more emotional picture for me. Um, so we find that event when the Holy Spirit came down to be that presence in our lives. We find that in Acts chapter 2. So as a little bit of a precursor to Acts chapter 2, this was where all the followers of Jesus were, were waiting for this moment, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And before this, when Jesus was going to heaven, he said, all right, all my followers, you guys, I want you to go into every nation. I want you to teach them everything that I've taught you. I want you to heal the sick, cast out demons. I want you to do what I've shown you to do. And then he goes, but wait, 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 wait. He's like, don't make a move. Don't attempt it until you've received the Holy Spirit. The funny thing was, these guys had already been doing what he commanded them to do. Jesus taught them. He demonstrated in front of them how to cast out devils, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, etc. And then he sent them out to do it as well. They preached the gospel. They said everywhere they went, like Jesus commanded them, the kingdom has come near you. They've already been doing it. But again, he says, don't move until you've received my presence. So we get to Acts chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived again, today's anniversary, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were attending. So this is when the Holy Spirit comes. But Luke was the author of this book, and he was a medical doctor, and that word for wind in verse 2 is not the traditional word for wind. It's the word noe, and it is the word that is used in Acts chapter 17 to describe the breath of life. It's the same word a medical doctor would use with a baby that first comes out of the womb to take their first breath. So this gives me the picture of the apostles. They've been trained, they've seen it done, and they've been doing it. And now they have a vision and a charge to go forward and continue doing it. And now they're just holding their breath, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come until finally a sound of a great and rushing, mighty breath of life fills the room. And they finally can go, oh, oh, I'm alive. God did everything for his presence to be in us. So he could take every breath we take, he could take every step that we take with us. Yeah. Presence. Without presence, there's no possibility. Without understanding, there is no quality. And some of you may have already gotten here before I have, but without communication, there's no depth. There's no progression or depth of relationship. We need all. It, we know relationships are multifaceted. There's probably more you could even add to this message, but we need communication. But this is the point I'm going to end on because it is so important. Jesus said we don't live by, by bread alone or food alone, but by every word that he proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. That he proceeds, that proceeds. Forget he right now. Um, so that's what he said. We all are not only able, but need to hear what he's saying day in and day out. When I was 16 or 18, somewhere around there, I remember I was wrestling with one of these questions. You know, there's certain perspectives you kind of glean as a child growing up. You, you think the world looks this way because so-and-so 
who may not have known everything about everything. He was telling you about this, or you just kind of pick it up from the culture, but you're not looking in the Word of God for it. And one of these questions was, God doesn't always answer prayers, or God can't really be dependable because his kingdom's far above yours. His ways are higher than your ways, and doesn't matter how you picture it, just so on and so on. So my main question was regarding communication with him. Like, God, do you, do you answer prayers? And what he started kind of showing me, I started thinking about my dad. If I ever went to him with a question or asked for help or something, if I ever went to him, he might say no, and that's okay. He's, he's dead. He might say, not right now. Jake, you're, you're, you're seven years old. You don't, you're not going to drive today. You know, he, there might be that, but in no way, no circumstance do I ever picture him crossing his arms and ignoring me like I wasn't there. Ever. I can handle a no, but I was frustrated thinking that I would throw something to God and he would just cross his arms or tell me I'm stupid for thinking that. That's not him. So as I was navigating this, of course, I need to see it in the Bible to know that it's true. I've, I was, before I was saved, I knew that. The Bible's true. But I was asking him to show me. I was asking him to show me. And John chapter 10 has been, it has been the anchor for my life in this point. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, my own sheep will hear my voice and I know each one and they follow me. So after I saw those two things, my imperfect dad who wouldn't even be so low as to do that and then in his word where he says this, among other scriptures like asking you'll receive and things like that, I went back to God and I said, God, I see in your word you say this. Your word says that all I have to be is yours. And you said, I hear your voice and I follow you. I also see that my dad wouldn't do that to me. So Father, from here on out, I believe that when I ask you a question, when I ask you for help, that you'll be there, that you'll answer. You can answer however you want, but according to your word, I'm taking a stand and saying, God, you'll be there. The funny thing is, is sometimes we look at a decision as the final line, as the finish line, when re really it's the starting line. You see, I've had to fight to hear his word sometimes. I've had to take different cues from him, like writing out my thoughts, or there are times where I had to take a step out before I saw everything perfectly laid out before me. But knowing that he had answers for me gave me that foundation to stand firmly and believe him for it. When I was, oh man, there, there have been multiple times where I've been here at the church, either overseeing an area of ministry or, or just being here and being a Christian, but where I felt, <laughs> this one time I felt like just condemnation was sitting on me. Like I did something wrong, but in my head, I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. But God, I, I'm open. If you want to remind me of anything, I'll repent. Did I run somebody over with a conversation? Or God, what, what is going on? And so after praying in the spirit, after just waiting on him, and again, knowing that he had an answer for me, after maybe five, 10 minutes, I, I had clarity on it in dialogue with him that first of all, that condemnation was something the enemy was trying to put on me that had nothing to do with what was inside of me. And secondly, he just said the simple point, and he said, pray for Pastor Tim. And so I'm like, okay, well, all right. And again, peace was there in that moment because I heard his word. There was another time where it didn't come by like a dialogue. I had a few questions that I needed answers on regarding my life. Like, I don't remember exactly what they were, but job transition, health, something that just wasn't looking like I knew it should. 
And so I sat down. I woke up before Lindsay, which is early. I woke up before Lindsay, and I was sitting there with my coffee beside me, my Bible on the other side, and I wrote those questions down. And I said, God, I need answers. So, Father, what do you have to say about these? So I started asking the first question, and uh, nothing. I was feeling sluggish, though. My head wasn't really in that headspace. I mean, it was, it was early, and I was feeling it. But I just moved on to the second question. Okay, let's try this one. And I started asking the second question, and then all of a sudden, I shook myself because I recognized what I was doing. I was dabbling. I shook myself, and I said, God, I'm not here to ask endless questions. I'm here to get answers. So I'm believing that you're going to speak, Father, however you want to speak, whatever you have to say. I want your word. So you said, your sheep hear your voice. You said, by your spirit, I am led into all truth, that, that you're here. So God, what is the answer to this? And I go back to the first question. And again, nothing. So I just started writing out. I was like, okay, God, well, I know you got an answer for me. So I started just writing out whatever was coming to my mind, whatever was coming to my heart. I started writing it out. First sentence, nothing. Second sentence, nothing. But when I got to like the third or fourth sentence, my heart just got a resonance in it. I was like, oh, okay, okay. There's something here on this. So I continued down that road and just wrote it out. Same process. About 10, 15 minutes later, I got up from that place and had bullet points, strategies, wisdom, a greater understanding in each one of those areas, as well as things that I knew I needed to get back to or work on every time. So it doesn't always work the same way. You say God speaks to us all in different ways, and I believe that's true, but also he speaks to me in different ways. And that's okay through dreams, through, through other people, through whatever. But the thing, the main thing I want you to take away is God wants to speak to you, and even more than that, you need to be able to hear from him. And that's for everyone who is in Christ and everyone who is led by the Spirit of God, who has the Spirit of God in them. It's for us. In some ways, some of my statements might seem a little brash or bold to you, but at the same time, when it's his word I'm talking about, he doesn't get offended when I bring that to him and say, God, you said. Because I'm not coming with an arrogant or prideful heart. I'm coming and saying, like to my father, God, you said. So I just need understanding in how this works, because if you said it, I'm going to take you at your word, and I believe it. But there was another time where I had to step out and not even see what was in front of me. I mean, that's kind of life. <laughs> that's kind of life living in faith. But, but I, Lindsay and I were leading a prayer, minute, uh, prayer meeting. And as I was praying up to it, it was just in my heart. I was like, God, I want to see the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit moving. I want to see them in action in my life. And by your prescription, I only see that you said to earnestly desire them. So, Father, I desire them. And I just believe that you're going to move in this area in my life. I'm going to be able to speak over people, and it's going to be your words. I believe you for it. That prayer night came and went, and I spoke over and prayed with like four people. And after each one, like three out of four, the, the last one I didn't talk with at length, but three out of four immediately confirmed that what I said, they said, you read my mail. That was exactly what I needed to hear. I, I, fe I feel God talking to me when you talk. But the thing is, None of them did I approach with any confidence of, I got this, I know exactly where you're at, I know your mail, I read it, God showed. I didn't have any confidence in that, but what I knew was, I'm his sheep, and I hear his voice. And when I took a step toward them, I knew, God, because of your word, you're going to be there when I get there. 
It seems simple, but like I said, the decision is only the first part, but oftentimes, just like that, the grace for something or the empowerment for something, it's oftentimes not felt until you set yourself to walk in it, until you start taking that first step before it looks like the road you're supposed to take. And sometimes you have to trust that God's going to let you know if you're taking a step too soon, if you're bridging the gap, if you're running ahead of him, if you're taking the wrong path. But the thing is, his voice is yours. His voice is yours to hear. It's been his desire from the beginning, and that's what he has for us. But because that grace is not always felt, we're going to do a little bit of an exercise here, a little bit of an exercise. So what we're going to do, we're going to take a question and that's not for me to decide what it is, but a question, it could be your life's purpose, something grand, or it could be something trivial. God, I lost my certain ring, and I want to find it. It could be something, it could be anything front to back. But we're going to take a question, we're going to bring it to him, and we're going to take a few minutes, and we're going to hear from him. We're going to also do some one-on-one -on -one ministry at the end, but I believe this is just as important, if not more so because of its under because of the lack of emphasis on it sometimes in the, in the church in general. Not, not to say they're doing anything wrong, but at the same time, we're gonna pray, the elders and I are gonna pray with anybody who wants somebody to stand with them, but first we're gonna do this exercise. So take your, your phone out, take a notepad out, because again, God might speak to you through writing, but even if he speaks to you in your heart verbally where you know it's him, I want you to write it down, whatever he says because you're either gonna to wanna to revisit this, maybe it's gonna be the first sentence to this answer to the question and you have more to dig into, but I want each of you as homework to begin practicing this. He wants you to answer your questions. He wants to be with you and he wants you to know that he wants to be with you. So we're gonna do this for the next few minutes and I believe he's got something to say to each question we bring him, amen? So bring it before him.
I know this was quick. Oftentimes hearing from God doesn't take an hour of fasting and prayer. Oftentimes when I set myself to receive something, it comes pretty quickly. But this was just an exercise. This was just kind of an introduction to it for, for maybe some of you who are inexperienced or didn't know God could be so personal. But this is gonna be something that you should practice. It doesn't mean you have to appoint an hour for each day for it, like I said. But throughout your day, honestly, I wasn't meaning to say this, but my life received a major transformation in my life. When I quit reporting to God at the beginning and end of each day and I started talking with him throughout. Practice, practice, practice. We were made for it. There's no richer life. It doesn't make you more religious or pious. It makes you, <laughs> it makes you authentic. It makes you more into who God made you to be. So as we close this out, um, I've scarcely addressed e-community, but thank you for being with us. Good to see you, technically. Um, but thank you for being with us. We're gonna close the stream out and give you the pastoral blessing in just a moment. But for everybody here, whosoever wants, whatever need is in your life, we're gonna open the altars up so that we can be here standing, standing with you for whatever it is you want, whatever it is you need in your life. But for the e-community, if you want to come up, Pam, why don't you go ahead and give the pastoral blessing so that we can officially dismiss. And for those of you who don't want to stay, uh, you don't have a need, then feel free to, to excuse yourself. This isn't Im impropriety. There's no impropriety there. I mean, <laughs> thank you, Pam. Thank you all for coming and joining us today. And we thank you, e-community, for being online with us today. And let me just say the pastoral blessing that um, Aaron said in the Old Testament. God bless you and keep you. God smile on you and gift you. God look you full in the face and make you prosper so that you can make Jesus known. Have you discovered your street of influence? Whether it be family, government, business, arts and entertainment, faith, health and vitality, or education, Head over to culturalstreets.com and discover your street today.